Thanks for downloading and welcome to Take Orally, the podcast from Dream Queen's Medical Centre, Nottingham. In this episode, we'll be discussing the child with a non-blanching rash. As ever, all information is correct at the time of recording. Any law guidelines mentioned are correct for Nottingham University Hospitals NHS Trust. Other trust guidelines may vary. All views and opinions are the speaker's own. Hello, welcome back to Take Orally. And in this episode, we're discussing the child with a non-blanching rash and also having a chat about some viral rashes as well. Uh, Rachel Trix is back with me. Hello, Rachel. Once again, hello. Hello. Haven't put you off yet. Um, So... I think this is obviously the thing, non-blanching rash is that thing like, you know, uh, crushing central chest pain or sudden onset headache. It's those few words that we, we have in our head and go, oh God, alarm bells start ringing. Uh, and so as an, uh, once again, we've got some guidelines here from our trust yep. and NICE has guidelines as yep. well because it is so important and uh, just follow the guidelines and, and it is really fine. simple as that. We could yeah. end the podcast here. <laughs> Follow the guy, boom. Uh, would that we were, but you are going to have to suffer with my voice a little bit longer, so I'm going to carry on talking. Um, so... Um, we're going to talk our way through those guidelines yeah. now, and then we're going to have a bit of a chat about some viral rashes as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah. And then we'll come back and do a future episode about some other rashes and well, stuff. I as think well. that will be fun. Yeah, that's good. Excellent. Cool. Um, so you you were a you're a senior registrar in pediatric emergency yep. medicine. How often do you think you see a child with a non-blanching rash? With a non-blanching rash. Hmm. A lot. A lot. <laughs> a lot. <laughs> and, each, and parents are, are programmed to look out for this as well. Yeah. We all know the Tumblr thing, don't yeah, we? Yeah, so we've heard there's been really good public education programmes um, and people talk about the glass test. Yeah. Um, I pressed on it with a glass and it didn't disappear. Yeah. Um, and unfortunately, despite really good immunisation programmes, which we now have in this country, mm-hmm. um, meningococcal disease still exists and it's yeah. still one of the leading killers of children worldwide. So it's definitely something that we need to be aware of and we need mm. to act on if we yeah. are concerned. Because that's what we're worried about, yeah. isn't it? Meningococcal disease is, is the, the thing, meningococcal yes. septicemia, that yeah. we, we see those cases of and things that get into the media and yes. children with yeah. amputated limbs, etc. Et yes, yeah. and um, I've seen a few cases in my lifetime. Um, <laughs> so, and it's, so, yeah, it's definitely something which um, is out there and we need to be aware of. Um, I think one of the things that we do need to remember though is it gets so drummed into us mm. that non-blanching rash equals meningococcal disease is that actually only less than 10% of all non-blanching rashes are due to meningococcal disease so there are a lot of kids out there who have uh, non-blanching rashes um, who don't have meningococcal disease and don't have serious bacterial infection however being able to tell the difference between those two at that very low stage is difficult um, sure. And that's where we have the guidelines for, so read the guidelines. <laughs> so the guidelines starts by saying, uh, child or young person yep. uh, presenting with a non-blanching rash, more than five spots yes. in, in brackets. Yes. <laughs> um, so we've done the glass test, and I think the key thing is that a significant non-blanching rash is a, not the child who comes with one tiny spot on their chest <laughs> because that's probably nothing too much to worry about. Yeah. Um, I would certainly uh, say don't go looking too hard. If, it, if it's a significant rash, mm. um, you will see it. Um, cool. But at the same time, do strip off your kid. Do make sure you're looking everywhere for this. Um, I've you, seen kids... You mentioned it yeah, under the socks, you mentioned under it. Under the yeah. socks, so yeah, make sure you are looking for it. Cool. So now it says, examine for signs of meningitis or meningococcal disease or other serious bacterial infection. 
Yes, so we've done a, we talked about this sort of both with our fever in the under fives and the sepsis podcast. So um, this is looking, is your child in front of you unwell? Are they, do they have a fever to start with? Um, are they tachycardic? Do they have raised respiratory rate? Do they look mottled, clonkapillary field time? All those things that we talked about in the red um, flag sepsis features and the red flag in the traffic light si symptoms or even the amber um, signs in the traffic light symptoms. Cool. Any signs of this child being unwell, um, mm. then that kind of points us down the this needs to be treated as meningococcal until proven otherwise. Cool. And so that's again, like we talked about, lumbar puncture, uh, antibiotics. So definitely anti antibiotics. Um, lumbar punctures in these children, um, you can potentially hold off because they may well be sort of heading into DIC if they're sick and sure. may have clotting okay. abnormalities. They may not be stable enough for a lumbar puncture at the time, mm -hmm. but definitely blood cultures, PCRs, antibiotics. Um, fluid resuscitation if need be as your first line. Cool. Getting seniors involved, getting seniors getting upstairs involved. Getting seniors involved, PICU, um, everything that we talked about previously. Yeah. Um, the, it's got a few sort of defining criteria again. So one of those being the difference between purpura and petechiae. Yeah. So any child who has a purpuric rash um, with a history of fever, unless you are certain that it is one of a very small group of differentials including things like hsp even leukemia uh, things like that um, these children um, should be treated as meningococcal disease so okay. purpura equals meningococcal disease um, unless there's a, um, one of a couple of few differentials for that um, and again we talked about being unwell with that so Purpura is easy, treated as meningococcal. Mm -hmm. um, the slightly harder group is the petechial rashes. Mm -hmm. So these are the less than two millimeters, yeah. um, often widespread. Mm -hmm. um, and as you say, is there, is there a history of fever or um, Is there any fever? fever? So fever yes. with you or, or fever recorded yeah. before you've seen the child, yeah. Yes, so, um, so if the answer to that question is no, then generally we can say this child is safe to be discharged home. Sure. They um, they can go home, um, but you do need to give strict advice on when to come back. So rash is spreading, child is becoming unwell, all the things that we've talked about previously. Cool, cool, cool. cool. Um, if there is a fever, then it's a matter of looking at where the rash is. Um, okay. So we know that um, rashes confined to the SVC region um, are very unlikely to be meningococcal and often you'll find that there's um, a mechanical cause of these so these children have been coughing or vomiting um, often you find them very fine petechiae around the eyes in these children um, so these are so these children again you can generally if you're happy that it's purely due to a mechanical cause um, then again you can think about um, discharging them if they look well and you're happy to send them home. So that's above the, the uh, nipple lines? Above the nipple lines, yes, yes. Um, you can also get uh, petechiae from other causes, mm. um, so tight sleeves, sometimes you might notice if you've been holding a child too tight for a cannula that you can get a few petechiae. So if you can see an obvious mechanical cause for mm. the um, petechiae, then that's another reason why you can sort of say cool. they're probably okay. 
cool. But if it's not confined to the SVC so distribution? If it's not confined to the SVC distribution, then these are your children who need bloods. So um, it's a sort of typical sepsis on well child workup. So full blood count, CRP, um, coagulation. Uh, blood culture, meningococcal PCRs, blood gases, glucose, um, just to get all the information. Cool. Um, and then we um, are quite sort of literal. If, if our child looks well um, mm. and they have a normal CRP and a normal white cell count, then they can be discharged as well. Um, with all the usual advice. With all that we've our usual about. advice. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> um, but if, any, if either of those is raised, um, then we should be treating them as uh, meningococcal uh, with IV antibiotics and admission. Uh, that's all very self-explanatory, it isn't is. it? It is. Um, I think it's worth noticing, uh, mentioning. Um, there's a couple of um, the nice guidance out there is really good, yeah. And that's what a lot of algorithms are there. Um, there's a couple of other algorithms which are quite similar. There's one called the Newcastle, Birmingham, Liverpool, which is very similar. Mm -hmm. um, it's just slightly. Sh um, slight differences in how it defines an unwell child, mm -hmm. um, and then. One of the important things that they're doing at the moment is what we call um, what they're calling the PIC study, um, which is just looking at the outcome of children who are presenting with petechial rashes, and we're involved in that here in Nottingham. Um, so if you do find a child with petechial rash, then it's worth speaking to our research nurses about that. Sure. Um, the argument is a lot of our current evidence um, out there is from a pre-immunisation era. So actually, um, do we need to look at how we're managing things now post immunization and see how cool. children are um, being diagnosed cool vaccines work and they cause adults yeah adults it's not a good thing <laughs> <laughs> uh, vaccines work that is our message uh good um and so i mean the guidance goes through some other differentials i mean we're going to talk about other rashes in a, in a later podcast as well um it also mentions um non-accidental injury as a potential cause of a particular rash as well i mean we've already done a podcast on on na i've done two podcasts on na so i'd go have a look in that one as well um but then obviously to once we've ruled out sepsis and yeah. to think make sure that is always going through our mind exactly as well. yeah it should be going through every child you see you should always have that in your mind yeah absolutely every child awesome um so that's our non-blanching rash is yeah. that we've pretty much sorted yeah, pretty much that. so we're now just going to take a slight detour and i'm going to talk about viral rashes yep. um so we already mentioned in other previous podcasts as well kids get viruses and and and, and viruses can cause rashes and i think these Certainly, patients with strange rashes is my most common cause of Googling, going, yeah. you know, trying to describe <laughs> Ooh, what's, it and what's having going a look on? at going, does that look a little yeah. bit like what I've got in front of me? Um, so, shall we just talk a bit about viral rashes now? Yeah, um, and I think this leads on nicely from the particular rash in that that can be caused by viruses as well. So, um, I find it really useful to have a two by two table in front of me when I'm trying <laughs> to explain rashes to people um, and I think we have if you have label your two columns uh, what scares us mm -hmm. and what doesn't scare us cool um, and then label your rows what we know the name of and what we don't know the name of cool and I think you'll start to if you start to think through the different rashes which are caused by different diseases you'll start to be able to find that a lot of them can fit into the uh, those boxes there's very few which fit into the, I don't know, but it worries me. 
cool. But That's reassuring really to know. But if it does, if then it, does. it still yeah. worries you, so you yeah. can keep this child in. Um, so, sort of in the terms of it worries me, and I know the name of that's our purer things like that. Um, and then um, we can take it from there. So when you've got a child with a viral rash, I think it's really good to just think about your history mm. and think about your examination because they actually give you a lot of the answers. Mm. Um, and if you don't get the answer, it's probably a non-specific viral rash. <laughs> cool. <laughs> Fair <laughs> um, enough. <laughs> so um, obviously, how old is the child? Yeah. Um, describe the rash. So what does it look like? Um, we know that depending on what's the cause, it might start in different places in the body and the spread of the rash will change. Yeah. Um, and the rash itself may change and that often gives us some quite good clues. Mm. Um, what's the child like in themselves? Are they unwell? Have they had certain prodromes? Um, are they immunized? Mm -hmm. um, what have they been exposed to recently? Mm -hmm. um, and then it's always important just to check their immune status. Um, another question is consider travel, geographic locations. People, people do move around, but we probably they won't do. be covering the rare and wonderful today. <laughs> no, <thank laughs> do parents still send their kids to chicken pox parties? So that used to when I was little. I don't think I was ever sent to one, but I remember like, oh, such and such has got chicken pox, go send your kids to play with them and then they'll get chicken pox with them and done with. Um, I'm not a parent myself, I couldn't answer that question, but... <laughs> Uh, no, no. Not, not that anyone admits to it, I think. <laughs> no, no. Anyway, so, so shall we... Um, yeah, so that's sort of our history we've, we've got. Yeah. Uh, shall we just go through some specific yeah, rashes? Yeah, so um, I'm going to say the majority of these rashes, um, the majority, oh, sorry, the majority of rashes that you will see will unfortunately end up in that. I don't know the name of, but I'm not worried about box. Fair enough. So that's that, and that's the important thing to say to parents. Parents often come to you wanting a diagnosis, but actually being able to say, no, this is a non-specific viral rash. I'm happy it doesn't worry me. I don't unfortunately know the name of it or what's causing it, but it's a virus. Sure. Your child should get better. Sure, sure, sure. Um, can sometimes be quite reassuring. Um, so yeah, the majority are this non-specific viral rash, which yeah. is often erythematous, it's macular papula, it's on the trunk, maybe a bit on the arms, um, and it doesn't seem to bother the children. Um, one of the other rashes that a lot of children get um, with no specific cause is urticarial rashes. Yeah. And actually a lot of the urticaria that we see isn't due to allergy or it's more due to a body's immune response to a virus or something else that triggered it. So the urticarial child, um, try not to label these children as al allergic children. Um, remember that they may well have um, a viral infection causing this. Especially if that then means that the parents cut out a whole load of yeah, food because exactly. oh, it must be the must milk or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Potentially risk them but getting. No. Uh, yeah. um, do remember that. Cool. Um, so going through some of the some more common ones. I think um, that, sorry, just go back. I think that might also be when you talk to patients. Oh, I've my mum has told me since I was a little baby I'm allergic to penicillin or something yeah. and actually was it that you had a viral rash, viral rash that exactly. has been mislabeled and you've gone your whole life yeah. not getting yeah. penicillin when you couldn't yeah. have penicillin. Yeah. And I know there's actually a lot of work being done now to try and delabel children from penicillin allergies so mm. um, look out for that going on around you. <laughs> cool anyway yeah, so, yes um, so some specific rashes yeah. Um, so 
Uh, we'll start with chicken pox. It's probably one of the most common ones that we see. It's also one of the easiest to diagnose. Um, so um, it often starts, it's generally about a two week incubation period. So um, the exposure might have been some weeks back. Mm. Um, and you start to get these little erythematous raised lesions, um, which um, then develop into vesicles and they then start to crust over. Okay. Uh, what you often find is chickenpox, which is that these lesions are at different stages. So you have some of the little erythematous areas, other areas which are vesicles and other areas which are crusting. Um, the child's generally quite well with chickenpox. Um, although they may have a fever. Yeah. Um, the important thing to mention if they do have a fever is that we should be avoiding non-steroidals in mm. chickenpox um, because there's been links with increased risk of um, invasive staphylococcal infection with the use of non-steroidals um, and that they can get secondary infections. So your unwell child with chickenpox. Chickenpox pneumonia and yeah, things like that. You should be going yeah. back to your sort of unwell child um, guidelines. Cool. So, um, Although chickenpox is generally okay, it's not harmless. <laughs> um, irritates the skin. It irritates itchy, the skin. It's yeah. itchy. Um, in terms of managing it, um, antihistamines can help. Chamomile mm. lotion can help, um, mm. but it's just trying to keep them as comfortable as possible. Is it? Oh, I got this wrong. When they crossed over, you're no longer infectious. Yes. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. So children shouldn't be going back to school until all their lesions are crusted. Um, because that is the end of their infection period. Yes. And then you can show your crusty lesions off to your friends. All your friends show <laughs> tell. Because I love that kind of stuff. <laughs> cool. Uh, so that's chicken pox. What's our next one we're going to talk about? Um, so um, another common one that I think we don't probably label as much, but we probably see quite a lot of, is called roseola. Um, ah. And these children um, often come in we generally see them before the rash in fact because mm. um, they often will have a few days of really high temperatures um, which can um, sometimes cause febrile seizures mm -hmm. um, and um, so we often see them at that period, but then actually once the fever subsides, then the rash appears. Mm. Um, and that's often starts on the trunk and then goes onto the face. Sure. Um, and they'll often have a few lymph nodes and things, but generally these children are quite well, but it's just to point out the fever and the um, febrile convulsion can sort of point you in the right direction of what this rash is. Cool. Um, parvovirus is another one we see quite ah, commonly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so always known as slap cheek syndrome. Yeah. Um, and they have bright red cheeks, which makes it nice and easy. Um, so well, of course, making sure that they haven't been slapped. Yes, yeah. <laughs> true. Um, so they'll often start with the slap cheeks, and then a few days later they might develop a rash um, on their body. Mm. And they're often unwell with it, sort of temperature, runny noses. Um, the one thing, if you're diagnosing parvovirus, is just to check their child's sort of relationship with anyone who might be pregnant, um, because parvovirus and pregnancy, um, mm. if they pick it up, uh, can be known to cause miscarriages. And oh, that's so, um, so yeah, most people have been exposed at some point in their lives, but mm. it's always just worth making sure. Sure, and so sort of like general carousal-y symptoms going yeah. along with it, and yeah. yeah. Um, a good old sort of upper respiratory tract infection. <laughs> cool. <laughs> um, I think um, the next ones to mention are probably our measles and our rubella. Um, now, theoretically, um, we shouldn't be seeing much of these these days. Um, mm -hmm. MMR is out there for a reason. Thank you, Andrew Wakefield. <laughs> um, 
Most people listening to this are probably too young to remember that. <laughs> okay, Andrew Wakefield, children. <laughs> was a doctor he is now struck off because he released a very badly uh very badly done paper linking the mrmr vaccine to autism and gi disturbances his research was based purely on asking parents of children with autism and gi disturbances uh when did you think your child got ill? And they went, oh, it was around the time they got their MMR. And that was about as much research as he did. He also had a lot of money paid to him by a law firm who were suing vaccine people at the time. Uh, it got published, it shouldn't have been, and a few people have lost their jobs as a result of it, uh, and he got struck off. But he is now touring America and dating Elle McPherson, because he is a celebrity of the anti-vaxxer movement. Oh, that's scary. That's really scary. <laughs> uh, and, you know, where he follows. So he goes across America and all the Make America Great Again brigade follow him. And also also follows him is measles. Interesting. But there we go. So there that's Andrew Wakefield, children. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Moving, on. Moving on. Uh, so, measles. These yeah. children are miserable. Yes. <laughs> they are really miserable. And I think that's one of the first things to say. Um, so... Um, they'll often start with sort of fever, cough, coryza, they've got conjunctivitis, um, and then the rash um, very is very particular in that it starts on the head and neck and spreads onto the body, um, and then the extremities. Um, and the other things that you may be able to see is uh, coplic spots in the mouth, ah, yes. so it's one of those things that you always get told. <laughs> The little white spots yeah. on the inside of the yeah so on yes. the inside of the mouth so yeah complex yeah. spots are these little white spots that are on the inside of the mouth so if you if you can get the child to open their mouth and have a look on the, the, the inner lining of their, of their cheeks you'll see the uh, them cool yeah so um rubella um generally actually these children are quite well and mm. we don't tend to worry about rubella um they often have a rash which looks similar to measles, but um, it doesn't really cause the child any problems um, acutely. Um, mm. Again, the risk with the rubella is with pregnant women again, yeah. and that's why we vaccinate. Uh, rubella, also known as German measles, yes. think, if you're dealing there with, you if you're talking about, yeah, some people use different terms, don't yeah. they? Yeah. Rubella or German measles, cool. Uh, and yeah, as you said, pregnant women risk yeah. uh, for, uh, for pregnant women, yeah. cool. Yeah. Um, Sort of uh, one of the other rashes which uh, we often see is hand, foot, and mouth. Mm. Um, so these kids are slightly off it, bit of fever, bit of prodromal illness. Um, it's caused by the Coxsackie virus um, and that causes uh, vesicular uh, lesions on the hands, feet, and mouth, funnily enough, um, <laughs> and groin. They're often on the buttocks as well. Um, so um, but these children are generally asymptomatic. Um, it's one of those diseases which goes round and round at nursery and things, so I'm sure if you've had children then you will see it at some point. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, we talked about um, penicillin causing rashes earlier. Yeah. Um, I think one of the other things to remember is um, EBV or glandular fever. Oh, so yeah, yeah. although there's not always a rash with EBV itself, some of these children get treated as tonsillitis um, and then they get started on um, amoxicillin or ampicillin and then they develop a rash as well. So just to be aware, it might be something that you see. Um, cool, 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 cool. cool. Uh, anything else you want to talk about? Um, I think one other thing just to mention is, um, while we're talking about sort of serious illnesses and viral infections, is 
the child with eczema who yeah. gets infected. Um, so eczema hepaticum. Um, these children um, are often quite unwell, and it is a medical emergency because um, they all need to be treated. Um, the rash itself often um, is sort of scattered lesions, but they all look the same. And mm -hmm. I think that's the clear difference between eczema hepaticum and chickenpox. So in chickenpox, they're all at different stages, whereas eczema hepaticum, they're all they're exactly uniform. the same, uniform. Um, cool. Sometimes it's so extensive that you can't actually tell what's going on in the rash. But okay. if you look at around the edges, you generally get a bit of better picture of what's going on. Um, mm. Looking at it, at, but these children uh, will need high dose acyclovir um, and often supportive skincare. Um, probably need admission mm. um, and may need ophthalmology review if there's involvement of the eyes as well. Okay. So um, that's important and to so, remember. So these are children with eczema who've got a superimposed infection yeah, into that. Yeah, superimposed they? herpes infection. Um, oh dear. So um, it's always important to remember. Excellent. Thank you. Uh, is that it? Have we reached our end, do you think? I think so. Marvellous. There's other stuff we could talk, we could talk rashes, about rashes all day. Rashes all day, you know. You know. Uh, excellent. So um, I think we'll do an, another episode on other rashes at yeah. another point. Yeah. Um, but I think we that's well done. We've covered non-blanching rashes and our viral rashes. Thank you so much, Rachel. You're welcome. Thank you. Bye-bye, everyone. That was the Take Orally Non-Blanching Rash and Viral Rash podcast. Um, you can find the blog entry for this podcast and the Take Visually Infographic at www.takeorally.com. Remember, you can find uh, Take Orally on um, both Facebook and Twitter, as well as Instagram and YouTube. You can subscribe to Take Orally on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, and Spotify. For more information about research and educational opportunities with emergency medicine and acute medicine major trauma, you can find NUH Dream on both Facebook and Twitter. <laughs>